Hello and welcome to Studio Sessions, the big red and shiny podcast where we talk with artists about the ideas, inspiration, and processes that go into their work. I'm your host Matt Kuhlman, and this episode I'll be speaking with John Gonzalez. John earned his BFA from the Rhode Island School of Design in 2004, and his MFA from the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston in 2011. A number of his projects the past couple of years have been collaborative. Called Small Conversations, it is a series in which he initiates a discussion with someone who sometimes isn't even an artist themselves, and from that conversation agrees to make something based off of what they talked about. Outside of that series, John creates other highly participatory projects for people to take part in. These can involve activities such as excavating and documenting an old beach house, trading personally meaningful objects with them, or stacking empty cardboard boxes into any configuration along with whoever else happens to be in the gallery. Join me as John discusses his projects and the unique and varied experiences he creates through them. Hi John, how you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, thanks for meeting with me here. Sure, yeah, thanks for having me. So we're here to talk about your work, but first to give a little context if you want to explain your background and how you got to where you're at today. Okay, sure. So uh, I'm originally from Providence. Uh, I grew up in a family, oldest of five children, and my parents really encouraged creativity in Mm -hmm. their lives. Uh, I went to undergrad at at RISD. I actually studied illustration there, Mm -hmm. which is different from the type of work that I'm making now, but it provided me with a, a, a good design sense, I think, and let me sort of become com- comfortable with different software programs like Adobe Illustrator, which is a program I use a lot, mm-hmm. as well as just to sort of, you know, figure out how to articulate ideas with images in a way that uh, I think is important in my work. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was at RISD, I, I, you know, I studied illustration, and I actually decided not to go into that field mm-hmm. uh, just because uh, the type of work I was creating uh, I felt didn't wasn't really suited for that industry I, I, when I did a, a brief internship right at the end of my tenure at RISD um, I just realized that I was going to be working for companies and things like that and so I felt less creative in that situation mm-hmm. and so I kind of became a little overwhelmed and sort of decided alright maybe I just want to chill out and not make work for a little while um, which was at the time it was okay for me um, and later on actually uh, after a brief like five year period of not really pursuing art that much uh, I was working a lot of retail and sort of paying back student loans and stuff like that I decided to really um, come back to art making in a different way mm-hmm. in a way that was more important to me and, and was sort of reflective of the the type of ideas and, and different situations that I found myself in. So then I decided to go to graduate school. I went to the museum school and, and I really learned about a lot about art history and, and became involved with performance, which is a really uh, important component of my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped me just sort of think about the way that I'm making work and think about creativity in a different way and allowed me to sort of you know, go back to retail, so I'm working retail again, mm-hmm. but come back to retail in a way that I can find, like, creative moments within my day, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of contextualize them in a way that I feel 
leads towards you know making artwork or making other things that are kind of sustainable and, and interesting to me mm-hmm. yeah I can see how it makes sense that you probably wouldn't stick with illustration because from what I've seen of your work it's a lot more cerebral than what most illustrators deal with <laughs> yeah I felt, it's, it's interesting I, I you know at the time when I was in undergrad I, I felt like that was the type of artwork you know that's how I thought of art as mm-hmm. was things like that and then um you know, I think it was really graduate school that kind of pushed me in a direction that made me make work that was actually more towards, more like my personality, actually. Mm. Would you consider yourself a conceptual artist or like a performance artist? Because I saw like kind of a mix of different things that all seem to be rather non-traditional in the way that... Yeah, yeah. Well, and what the projects are, I guess, even. Sure. Uh, I guess I, I feel like I, I'm all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Not really anything in particular. I guess for certain projects I use performance a lot, certain projects I use painting, sculpture. Mm-hmm. I kind of use materials based on whatever type of idea I want to articulate at that moment. So it's kind of, you know, I, I like to use methods and strategies that, that are sort of intrinsic of all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I saw that one of the one of the prominent um, things that you had on your site, at least, was small conversations, mm-hmm. which is it's work that you're not even necessarily making yourself. It's conceived through a conversation with other people. And totally, um, yeah, we can get into some of those in the process that um, you go through in making those things and some of the things that it's produced. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, the small conversations project started um, actually right after I finished graduate school. I was invited by uh, Samson Gallery to uh, be an artist in residence. They have an artist in residence program called Sub Samson, mm-hmm. where um, Camilo invites a local artist from the area to have a studio space in basically the basement of his gallery. He has like a little area down there, and then we're down there for like six months. Uh, he doesn't really have any parameters as to what type of work we're creating but it's interesting to be an artist in a commercial setting like that mm-hmm. uh, where we get to kind of you know talk to Camilo about what it means to be an artist who you know is 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 interested in commercial representation or you know being involved in communities of of galleries and sort of like transactions and stuff like that so it was it was really important for me to be there I learned a lot and that's where I started the small conversations bit um so uh, they have a, like a First Fridays uh, exhibition where all the galleries in that little spot uh, on 450 Harrison get together on Fridays and have a little ex- exhibition. Sometimes they have openings for new shows and stuff like that. So I really wanted to take advantage of the crowds that came in there and have something new each and every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did was I decided to have a... a you know, a small project I decided to call it Small Conversations where I would essentially um, uh, meet new people in the community um, usually people who are not um, art makers um, I asked Camillo to to sort of provide me with like a some people that he knows that might be interested in working with me you know, whether they be curators, collectors uh, just other professionals that he's affiliated with um, and who he sent out a letter asking on my behalf um, um, about this project and so I got a few people that were interested um, 
the first person I w- worked with was James Thornton, who was actually a uh, he was a PhD candidate um, at the Harvard School of I think he was in he was a scientist of some sort. I can't remember exactly what what department he was in, but um, so we worked on a, an interesting project where um, basically he helped to design this algorithm where we placed blocks, uh, cinder blocks on the, the floor of my studio and built up this this sculpture that was, you know, basically there for the opening. Mm-hmm. But for me, the, the project really is about finding folks who I've never met before and asking them to come into my studio and, and work with me on a project. And so that's, I, I, I really, what was important for me was to, to meet new people mm-hmm. uh, with you know, within the context of the of the gallery and the residency. And also, you know, it was right after I finished graduate school. So I was I was really kind of like being born again into this like city where I was now like out of the confines of a of a certain institution and sort of, you know, growing and sort of like kind of finding my own legs, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I really, you know, was thinking a lot about a lot of things. I, I was thinking about, you know, what kind of work am I gonna make? What what when do I make it? How is it made? you know, all these choices of aesthetics and so forth. And so I really wanted to partner with, you know, individuals to sort of ask that question and maybe make works that were kind of about that idea of, of what to make. Mm-hmm. What were some of these conversations like? Do they just kind of like, do you ask them for an idea and then they describe something and you make it? Or is there a lot of back and forth in the creation of any of these? Yeah, there's there's totally a lot of back and forth. Um it's it starts with just like a meeting where we you know we either meet in some other context or we meet under the guise of actually working together. Um, sometimes I sort of like I might be interested in in someone and they I explain the project and they sort of also become interested or sometimes someone someone seeks me out through my project and asks me if they want to participate. I've I've worked with an artist that way, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, the conversation sort of begins with, you know, just maybe talking a little bit about the project itself, and then we kind of t- talk about what would be interesting to work on, you know, in in the space of my studio or maybe somewhere outside. Mm-hmm. And the conversation begins almost kind of like in a very raw sense, where we're just really excited about, you know, making an idea or something. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, ideas aren't aren't solid at that point. It's very fluid and. Um, we definitely go back and forth. I have a total open at that particular moment when we have that first conversation. I, I'm totally open to everything, mm-hmm. and um, usually the other person is too. Um, we sort of discuss where we might want to go, and and sort of, you know, we 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 cho- choose something that is short enough and, and manageable enough to actually do in, in four weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so that conversation first is about ideas and then usually the second conversation is about logistics and stuff Mm -hmm. um and can we get into some of the specific things that you've made out of these and kind of describe how what you made came out of the conversation so um so with james and i we made um uh basically a block like a large cinder block sculpture Mm -hmm. uh, which was really fun we um he basically directed the the way that the blocks were put together based on this algorithm where each block was titled with a certain number. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then at the end we had this like big sculpture. Um, and what's interesting for me too is is after I leave these small conversations, I'm left with a certain amount of information in terms of like how things can be made and thinking about creativity, mm-hmm. thinking about how this affects the future of my work. But at the same time, I'm hoping that the individuals the, who work with me also go back to their fields and think about you know creativity maybe differently in their in their jobs and their interests mm-hmm. for the second one I worked with uh, Russell Holmes who actually was my state representative when I was living in Rosendale okay. um, and he wanted to make a flag about the recession yeah yeah we made a flag together about um, some of his concerns and, and some of the concerns of the neighborhood um, so we met in my studio and um, he was actually really receptive to like working on something Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, we, he wanted to work on a, a like a portrait of him, but that sort of changed to maybe uh, an image that was really representative of you know his constituents and, and the sort of community. Mm-hmm. The flag was hung in our neighborhood for a while, and then I gave it to Russell, and now it hangs in the state house. Cool. <laughs> I worked with Lynn Cooney, who is an exhibitions director at BU. Mm-hmm. For this project, um, I worked on a series of drawings where uh, I would basically uh, have have Lynn either text me or call me or email me or see me in person and have a uh, literally a conversation with me, and I would make drawings from this conversation. Mm-hmm. And they would take the form of you know just pen and ink. To uh, I made a drawing on glass with just my finger and. If you breathe on the glass, it sort of reactivates where my finger was. Oh, cool. We also made some games, some, like, you know, drawing on paper games. Mm-hmm. Um, and also she mailed me some things that I used in the, at the exhibition. Mm-hmm. I also worked on a project uh, with Evan Garza, who is a, a curator and also a writer. He basically gave me this meteorite that his father gave him, which is one of his most prized possessions. Mm. Um, and made this little janky little contract that sort of <laughs> promises that I'll take care of the meteorite. And so for Evan, it was kind of like this really vulnerable moment for him to, like, you know, mm-hmm. not have this thing under his watchful eye. Uh, Evan's really interested in cosmology, which I am actually interested in too. And we basically made a um, just a small exhibition in my studio relating to some of his ideas of like quantum mechanics sort of um, astronomy and meteorites black holes just kind of interesting mm-hmm. things that are on kind of the cusp of contemporary cosmology his dad actually worked for NASA for a little while and we had a little um, plaque that, that sort of talked about um, Evan's dad's relationship with um, some of the research he did mm-hmm. Um, I also worked on a project with Lexi Lee Sullivan, who is a curator at the Dakota Museum. For this project, what we did was we basically kind of switched places, and um, I let Lexi finish a body of work of mine that I've already started, and mm-hmm. Lexi let me finish one of her curatorial projects. The project I let Lexi finish was called Installation Box, which is essentially boxes that are systematically standardized with um, materials. They all have the same materials in them, and then when, when someone buys the box, they make an appointment with me, and I come to their home to create um, 
a work of art with them okay. uh, in, in a collaborative sense uh, <coughs> from the materials in the box. Um, for Lexi's curatorial project, they ha- at the Decor of a Museum, they have um, like um, artist submissions where they, you know, artists submit work to the Decordova to, you know, uh, build relationships with the curatorial staff or maybe have uh, solicit shows for programming, etc. A lot of times they are really busy so they have like a standardized letter that they sort of give back. Lexi allowed me to review the materials submitted and and write back a very thoughtful uh, letter about their work rather than having it just be this like very kind of standardized form. It was a a very critical and, and, you know, uh, in-depth analysis of their work. Mm -hmm. Um, I also worked on uh, a conversation with Al Miner, who's a curator (coughs) at the Decordment, I'm sorry, at the MFA. Mm -hmm. Uh, We together talked about the the community of artists and curators and art the art community within Boston and um, some of the frustrations that we had with um, the, the lack of communication. Um, mm-hmm. And so we kind of made a small invitation-only room where we invited, um, you know, curators, collectors, um, artists, and academics uh, to just really talk about, you know, their relationship with this. Um, we also had a piñata that I filled with a bunch of candy and it was sort of like this like little kind of party thing, exclusive thing, but there was probably maybe 12 people there. Mm-hmm. And that was quite interesting, actually. Uh, the last conversation was, uh, the most recent one, uh, it was with uh, Celine Browning, who's an artist in Somerville, and we essentially switched studios, where I went to her studio and created work with her materials. She works in a very different process than I do. Mm-hmm. And I invited her to come over to my studio here and work with my materials to make a bunch of work so we made sculptures uh, with the materials that we were unfamiliar with with the context that we were unfamiliar with and kind of brought them into the studio and displayed them mm. <coughs> cool that's a lot of a lot of small conversations <laughs> yeah but, and I'm hoping to have it you know continue mm-hmm. um, and so having done all these collaborative projects how did you return to doing your own personal work and where there's some specific ways where you saw your thought process change or evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, I think of this project as kind of uh, research in terms of, you know, why, why, I'm always asking myself, like, why am I doing these things? Why am I using these materials? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I doing? Where am I working? And so I think that the small conversations is really a moment for me to kind of meet someone who has a library of knowledge that I that I would otherwise never interact with, and um, and sort of I, and so I embrace these kind of like small moments because a lot of times I'm I'm confronted with um, aspects of you know art making that I might feel or oh this isn't art or this is art, and so with these small conversations, it's really broadening my idea of what I can do and what I can make. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, definitely, you know, whether it's formally or, you know, just sort of conceptually, I think that um, I'm constantly, you know, using these tiny moments to make and and sort of create other moments and other projects. A lot of the stuff is kind of maybe 
very subtle or, or you know, very implicit in the work. And um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I can't really articulate anything in particular, but I know that um, that, that, that I'm moving forward um, and thinking a lot about these conversations and using them as, again, like research for, for future works. Mm-hmm. one thing that I'm noticing now that I didn't specifically think of before was that there seems to be like a heavy element of community um, building or collaboration Mm -hmm. in everything you do because those are obvious examples of one-on-one collaboration but I also was reminded of of seeing right there the trading post piece you did where you invite people to come in and was it like they had to swap something meaningful to them with for an object that's meaningful to someone else yeah, it was actually, uh, it started with objects that were meaningful to me. Mm. So basically I filled, I was invited uh, by, by you know, the... You like your childhood toys and stuff? Yeah, I gave away <laughs> some stuff that was pretty important. Um, so so what I did was I had 50 things that were like super important for me. Mm. Things that have been in my life for, you know, many years that I couldn't really get rid of for some reason or not. Was that cowboy hat yours? Yeah, the cowboy mm. hat was mine. I went to Wyoming in uh, 2011 to an artist residency and I... I I picked up that cowboy hat, um, but I didn't. I didn't get rid of everything. Some mm-hmm. things I couldn't trade. Yeah. They were just. I just couldn't trade them. But basically, what I did was I invited people to come to the gallery with an object or a few objects that were important to them, and we would discuss, you know, potentially trading these objects. So, mm-hmm. what happened was in, in that in that conversation, we kind of really got to a point where we were able to you know, either agree or disagree on the value of our objects. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the room full of 50 important things to me is important to me, and it's probably not going to be the same importance to you, yeah. and, and vice versa. So we kind of had to really kind of bargain and talk about these things. And so a lot of times, uh, you know, I would get rid of something that maybe I might sort of think back, like, oh, man, too bad I got rid of that. Or sometimes I would get rid of something, and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy that I got this really cool thing. <laughs> so it was kind of a, a gamble, but it was really important to me um, to see the... To, for me to ask this question, like, why are these things important to me? Yeah, I a, have them around the house all the time. Like, why are they important to it's me? It's an interesting investigation of sentimentality and what you invest in an object where, like, if you yeah. have something from... When you're a kid, it holds those memories. Like, I remember playing with that G.I. Joe or something, but really does it ultimately matter if the G.I. Joe is gone anymore? You still remember totally. playing with it. and Yeah, yeah. It, it was a good way to confront that for me. Also, when someone <coughs> traded something, their object would also be traded, uh, available to be traded. Mm-hmm. How many trades did you ultimately end up making, would you say? Um, it was hard to tell. I think that... So I started with 50 objects and by the time it was over, it was a week long project, by the time it was over about half the things in there were, were new items. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. Good turnover rate. <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was pretty awesome. My mom came in and actually traded something with me, which was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what she, did she trade for? She traded for a gift that she actually gave me. 
<laughs> one that she meant to buy for herself. I she think she, like, yeah, she oh, really got her <laughs> this for his birthday. <laughs> I think she was upset that I was tra- willing to trade it. Uh, but the thing was, even even though the items were in there, it doesn't mean that I'm willing to part with them. It just means that I'm willing to ask a question about them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Another project where there's obvious collaborative element was uh, the drawing room. You had 200 identical Home Depot boxes that you had... You just kind of created an opportunity for people to do something and invited them to make the work. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so the Home Depot box project... Um, Basically, I filled a tiny, small gallery at the University of Rhode Island with 200 um, empty cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I left the space. At, you know, we had one night where I was there and, and interacted with um, some of the students and people that came into the gallery. But then I left the, the boxes there for a number of weeks and allowed you know people to visit and kind of manipulate the space and create the space. Um yeah, again, collaboration is, is sort of a, a, a very important tool that I use. Um, again, because it, it for me, it, it's asking, you know, it's helping me to ask questions about the value of my work and the process. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it gives me all these awesome ideas about things. And it helps me, it helps me sort of evolve forward and also allows me to, you know, make work that is important within like a social context for me that that's a very interesting space that I think we all live in mm-hmm. um, and for me it's it's important to um, you know utilize that as a, as a material as well mm-hmm. so this project was super fun we we buried my dad <laughs> in here um, we I guess how many different like manifestations or organizations of the boxes have occurred over the so it was there for several weeks. Yeah, it was there for several weeks. There was all kinds of art. They, they, they range from architectural mm-hmm. um, sort of sculptures to uh, just sort of minimalist kind of things. We also play, played games with them. We played like a Jenga type of game where we pull <laughs> out the boxes. We made like a labyrinth. Um, yeah, it was super playful and fun. And um, it was interesting to just have these just tons of boxes I'm thinking about bringing the boxes here to my studio and kind of maybe creating some sort of space with them mm-hmm. box forward yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean you obviously have like documentation of all your projects but how important would you say that documentation is to the work because something like trading posts like you can you can relate some of the information to yourself but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for somebody who doesn't talk to you or didn't go to see it themselves or trade themselves like they wouldn't they would they would have no way of knowing like the full extent of what the project was or yeah yeah totally you would have had the option of you know like carefully detailing every single transaction that was made and you could like make a book of it or something mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. do you are you for or against that kind of documentation yeah i i think that um i i see it as certain circumstances I think it's, it works in certain circumstances it doesn't I, I have actually tons of performance projects that I don't have any documentation from because it would sort of spoil it for me mm-hmm. like uh, in, during grad school I, I did a brief performance for a month where I would uh, meet strangers at the entrance of the MFA and um, 
It was actually part of another show where I had that little box, and the little box invited people into the gallery and, and write down times where they could meet me mm-hmm. at the MFA. Um, and so they, we blocked off hour-long times where I would meet them at the MFA. For one hour, we would just stroll through the museum and talk about artwork. It wasn't really a, a, a tour necessarily that I would give, but more of kind of like, let's walk through the museum and talk about art and talk about mm-hmm. you know its importance or its value for us. And, you know, I got to meet a bunch of great people, but I felt like I didn't really want to record anything or have a camera or anything like that. I kind of wanted to just mm-hmm. live on in terms of, um, you know, we could talk about the project or maybe it could just sort of die with us. Have it be about the experience of doing that. And yeah. The and so so for other things, for other things like the Trading Post and other projects that I have on a website, um, for me, there's the actual moment, the live moment and the documentation are almost kind of like two separate things for me mm-hmm. like the live moment cannot be recreated with the documentation yeah. the documentation just serves to kind of point to the the live moment and say like this happened mm-hmm. and it's just it's kind of like on my website or you know it's there for people to kind of see like okay this is something that John has done and it sort of helps to contextualize you know all the work and sort of just sort of point to that that one moment in a, in, a, in a way that you know you wouldn't be able to experience it if you were there live mm-hmm. I like with the drawing room like you had several photos of configurations and scenes of the boxes but I'm sure there was like dozens and dozens that <laughs> yeah, were just, and there, they're gone forever there were dozens and dozens of things I've never seen either because mm-hmm. they took place when I wasn't there yeah <laughs> so yeah there's a, there's a certain aspect of, of the live that sort of lives on with me or without me um, and then the the photos are just a way to kind of, you know, serve as a document. Mm-hmm. And there's one other project here that we haven't talked about yet is the excavation of Herring Cove Beach House. Yes. And I guess it's kind of a documentational project in its own where you're collecting relics of a building that was once there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I guess so, how'd you come up with the idea for it first? <laughs> well, actually, I, I saw an open call um, um, for this this project. Basically, um, there was an artist who was who was curating um, um, different artists to come in at, to this this beach house that was actually going to be um, torn down. It was mm-hmm. on the the tip of the cape where, like, basically the soil was just eroding so badly that they had to just kind of call it quits and just just tear down this beach and mm-hmm. just give it to the ocean. Um, and then, um, so this one, this really old beach house uh, that was sort of built in the 50s um, had, a, like, a last moment where artists would come in and, and do all kinds of things, performances, show videos, sculptures. Mm-hmm. I had a few friends that were also participating in, in the festival. Um, and so I thought, what would be cool if I wanted to do something at that place? What would be interesting? What would be something I would be into and I thought a lot about well what was this building who who occupied it what was it for mm-hmm. what could we find there and so I, I just was personally interested in the place and I thought let's see what the place was made out of let's see let's see if we can kind of go and investigate so I I got a team of volunteers to help me um, just sort of search the place we got metal detectors we had some tools you know hammers and just kind of crowbars and stuff and ripped open some of the walls dug, searched for garbage and things and and kind of put together this little, almost like a museum kind of display in sort of one of the 
makeshift hallways of the building mm-hmm. uh, and and you know visitors were invited to just kind of look in and, and read the little tags of the stuff that we found what kind of things did you find there was like a hook for a locker and yeah we bones found there. bones we found money um, we found this weird kite that sort of landed on there there was this really <laughs> gross towel that was like <laughs> in the bathroom furniture there was a, a, a knife that was in there that, mm. that was kind of interesting um, <laughs> so yeah it was, it was cool it was just kind of like you know embracing kind of the unknown in a certain way and I think that's also a component of collaboration that I'm really interested in is like diving in you know even with the small conversations diving into an area that that I have no control of and really kind of you know asking questions and letting it organically develop on its own Mm -hmm. because there's always potential that something can't be interesting Mm -hmm. you know especially with this this type of work it's like you know it could suck and I like that I like that risk that it could suck because then then there's something at stake here you know mm-hmm. Conversations before with the the curator where you had the pinata and the like exclusive mm-hmm. opening or show where uh, you kind of alluded to talking about the Boston art scene and I mean everybody's got their like what they like about it and their gripes about sure, it. Sure. I've kind of heard both sides <laughs> of everything and yeah. as a person who's really interested in I guess kind of fostering more of an art community and participatory experience like kind of what's your perspective on what's happening in Boston and you're, you live in Providence even so you're kind of coming back up here on a weekly basis to take part in it but. yeah I mean um, so I actually like the, the, the art community here um, again I think it's because I decided to really dive in and, and sort of make something of it mm-hmm. Uh, this is where I went to graduate school, and I remember thinking, you know, when I in, when I was applying to different grad schools for graduate school over the country, I thought, you know, whenever, wherever I go to grad school, this is where I want to like sort of begin my career in the city, where, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. And so, keeping that in the back of my head, I really wanted to, you know, be serious about making connections, be serious about meeting people, and having interesting and important conversations with people who also felt the same way. So I kind of really, in graduate school, became aggressive about that. I, be, I I really saw the importance of that, and so therefore, because there are so many people here, and and from various backgrounds, and um, you know, there's a lot of academic schools around here that are interested in, in uh, you know, talking about ideas. That sort of flavor, I think, kind of permeates the the art community here as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are, are genuinely interested in, in talking about ideas and having time for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually like it a lot. I, I live in Providence, and I, I come up here because, again, I have a community here at the Howard Art Project, where my studio is, where you know we have about 15 artists that uh, we basically renovated this, this old abandoned uh, office building, created a, a number of galleries in here, put on our own shows, uh, and we also... Uh, 
you know, sort of interact with other art communities too. There's a the South End. There's a bunch of artists there. And, uh, I just feel like we're in the center of like a lot of activity in terms of galleries and, and museums and stuff that um, isn't really exactly the case where I live in Providence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from my perspective, um, I'd say the biggest drawback to the Boston art scene is a lack of alternative spaces, but mm-hmm. I, this is the first time I've ever been to Dorchester, like I said, yeah. so I can see more potential for alternative spaces in a setting like this, and it's, it has this neighborhood has the feel of a place where those type of things can happen. Yeah, I mean, this neighborhood definitely has that. We Before um, the Howard Art Project, uh, a bunch of buddies and I uh, found a space actually a couple blocks away called Lufthansa, where we had our thesis. We, that, sp- that space ran for about a year, mm-hmm. um, and then we sort of <clears throat> fell apart. But um, you're right, alternative spaces do have a very kind of interesting and unique flavor to them that they can kind of bring... Um, because the artists who are motivated to, you know, start something like this are usually really motivated with their own, their own practices. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think the one drawback is probably a little bit about the location, you know, because we're so close to New York. A lot of times, students feel the need to kind of like hightail it out of here and maybe mm-hmm. you know go to the front lines in New York or other places. So sometimes that can, you know. So you know, make it so there's not too many artists willing to sort of pioneer this area. Mm-hmm. And so another thing that I wanted to touch back on was at the very beginning you said that you use Illustrator to create a lot of your pieces, mm-hmm. and one thing I didn't see a lot of on your website was more of kind of traditional two-dimensional works or something. Maybe it's on there and I just like skipped over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I like I make a lot of prints. There's a there's a body of work that I I made made called New Wars um, <coughs> essentially they are um, they're images of war mm-hmm. usually um, images of contemporary US conflicts where um, I sort of articulate soldiers and um, sort of contemporary conquests um, mm-hmm. where you know we have soldiers kind of invading you know whether it be the Middle East or, or, or other sort of Nations, um, and I started this this work in 2008, um, right around when um, the Iraq War was kind of, I guess, sort of culturally being culturally being forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of more interested in, in Obama and um, McCain debate rather than the war that was sort of taking place, you know, unseen, far away, and I wanted to create these images about that would ask questions you know what is my relationship with war what is my relationship with you know how am I implicit in these 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 things mm-hmm. so they're really asking questions and, and you know as, as someone who's like safe in America who's you know utilizing a lot of the resources that are obtained through various means um, you know what is what is what is that relationship how do I feel about it and that's these. A lot of these are created with Illustrator, and that's what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they have the kind of a, like children's book illustration quality to them. I guess um, what makes you want to do them digitally in that style as opposed to a different mm-hmm. like painting process or something. 
Well, uh, they actually started out as paintings. A few of them are oil paintings on canvas. Okay. Um, I actually transformed them to using uh, Adobe Illustrator because uh, I could sort of make them in series. Um, and I can also uh, like blow them up and manipulate them in, in different ways. I, I felt that the material of, of a digital print also kind of reflected the, the sort of desensitization I felt that a lot of these images sort of evoke mm. where it's kind of like yeah they're really clean and yeah they're, they're sort of like everyone's smiling and, and <laughs> everyone's sort of like you know numb mm. and so I think that that having them be digital uh, also kind of adds just like a further mediation which mm. I think is sort of implicit in the work yeah it makes sense I mean the you know, Iraq was first invaded like 10 years ago it doesn't for me I remember it very clearly because I was like 2021 20, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there watching on TV and I was like this yeah. is stupid <laughs> but I also remember like for about two years following that maybe three years I think if you like were reading the paper there would every day there would be like a small thing towards the back of the paper like this many Americans were killed yeah. yesterday like there were this many casualties yes there was like a, a rolling ticker of information from that mm-hmm. I think even before 2008 like you were saying that was kind of pushed to the back of people's minds like 2005-6 I think people were kind of like oh that's we beat Iraq whatever it's mm-hmm. over and yeah. they don't think about it anymore <laughs> yeah I, I mean for, for me war is like this really strange concept especially as someone who's never experienced it mm-hmm. the only way that I experience it is through books mag- you know magazines movies video games mm-hmm. and so I have a, de- a very dysfunctional relationship with the actuality of, of what these things are um, and for me war seems like it's like this very antiquated tool but it's also super necessary in order for us to have this inflated lifestyle that we have here in America mm-hmm. and so I, I I really have a strange, ambivalent relationship with it. It's, you know, and so this 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 body of work really, for me, is a way to articulate that. Mm. It's like William S. Burroughs said: "We live in a war universe. It's always conflict and violence and war everywhere. It's the way of the universe." <laughs> yeah. And are those other series? Yeah, I mean, I have some other prints that I make with uh, Adobe Illustrator, these are just sort of formal um, uh, abstract things. Um, I also have a bunch of paintings that I make too. Um, Most recently I had a um, piece at Proof Gallery where I poured 200 pounds of sand in the corner of the gallery and spray painted it and then swept it up. (laughs) And I had this really it's like it's shadow kind of thing. Yeah, almost look like a spot of light. Um, so yeah, I mean, I work in in, in again many different uh, materials, and it, it you know for me it reflects kind of the my thought process or my um, you know where I am at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you're working on right now? Um, so right now. So, as I told you before, I, I, was, I, I work retail. I'm actually working at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm working on a bunch of projects, actually, that are 
kind of about my job at Home Depot. Uh, at my job at Home Depot, I work in the paint at the paint desk, and I mix colors mm-hmm. for people. Um, so at the Home Depot, you know, I think of it really as like a library of materials that could potentially become all kinds of art projects and stuff. Um, and also at the Home Depot, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of the sales associate that has to behave a certain way and, and has to sort of embody the kind of rhetoric of the institution that I work for. Mm. So there's this 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 moment of you know, <clears throat> you know, can I make work at work while also f- you know following the rules a certain way? And so I've been working on various um, projects. One a recent project that I'm working on is I'm, I'm developing. Um, a line of paint for for as, as as a bunch of sculptures. So I have these like paint cans, which um, are essentially made like a color of the paint can is made based on um, a, a, an experience or something that happens to me at at work. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that is you know using materials to make the color or, or talking to people about you know would be a nice color for this or you know an experience that leads to the creation of a color of paint mm-hmm. I'll then have um, like a bunch of swatches uh, for people to sort of have you know it's like Martha Stewart how she has like all her selected colors mm-hmm. I'm going to have a line of colors that you know people can purchase and, and sort of you know choose to use to paint a room or whatever or they can just kind of keep them as like a can Mm-hmm. Of paint and, and and never really use them just as an object as a potential for something. Cool. And so I mean that's kind of like the insulation box project where you know you have a box of stuff that you can use or keep. Mm-hmm. I like that potential and and certain objects. Mm-hmm. In creating paint colors, um, I'm kind of I'm always kind of curious like what the precision is that goes into formulating one because I know they have like formulas for it, but also like I had to go like get this really ugly color of spray paint made it's like Krylon avocado and it's like pea green basically <laughs> but I use it for certain things in these paintings that I make and I, it's really hard to find because nobody wants to carry it <laughs> and I had to go like get it custom made and he just like kind of sprayed it out and like mix and match like this color so like how, to, how much of it is just guesswork and how much of it is like a real science to it I guess well, um, I would say 99.9% of it is already thought out. Um, the associates have usually have no decision-making ability at all. Mm-hmm. What happens is you bring up a swatch color, has a barcode on the back, and you just scan it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also sometimes where people bring in like a fabric. We have like an electronic eye that can match it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know... Then again, it's just sort of like you just hit a couple buttons and it makes a, a paint for you. Hmm. In the very rare instance that the paint somehow comes out, you know, not satisfactory for the customer, um, we have an option of just sort of, sort of like putting it aside. Okay, I'll make you another one. Or what I try to do is I try to help them by like, you know, okay, let's make this work for you. What does it need to be a little bit darker or does it need to be lighter? Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's where you kind of go into the machine and manually begin to adjust things but it becomes difficult because um, especially someone for me who has you know a color theory background and 
someone who thinks about colors in a subjective way, sometimes that can be really difficult when customers want something exact and they want me to just make something mm-hmm. which is exactly in their heads that I don't know it is. So it's interesting to kind of navigate that that sort of um, that that sort of you know conversation or that moment where you know uh, I'm selling a product but also trying to help them get something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a whole. Like, process that I'm always interested to think about where the materials that were are made available to us like dictate yeah. our world basically Absolutely. like they only man- manufacture like a set number of faucet designs you know and a cert- set number of sinks and a set number of toilets and like mm-hmm. you're free to like pick from this menu of appliances or whatever to create your world but you know you need to make your buildings out of like standard size wood it's not going to be like really yeah funky or weird or anything and that kind of uniformity goes throughout our, our lives without i mean absolutely i mean that's it's interesting a, about sometimes but you think about it all the time it just drives me crazy i guess yeah well i, I think that <coughs> for me that's a that's a good sort of jumping off point for me because you know i am confronted with a, a standardized world and i think of creativity is really a, like a subjective refuge that you know one of the last sort of subjective refuges that we have mm-hmm. and so use, using standardized materials to make something new is really what, what art is all about mm-hmm. it's, it's you know we're giving th- we're given things and then we have to just sort of interpret them or reframe them repurpose them mm-hmm. and that's what my work is really all about cool sounds good anything else you want to add before we go no, just uh, thank you for having me, and it was a real pleasure to, to yeah. do this interview. It's good, good conversation. <laughs> Thanks. That concludes this episode of Studio Sessions with our guest John Gonzalez. You can find his work online at johncgonzalez.com. You can also learn more about me at my website, mattcoolman.com. If you'd like to support this program, you can send a donation through PayPal to studiosessionspodcast at gmail.com. Even if you only send $1, your donation helps guarantee I can continue providing interviews with interesting artists for your listening pleasure. And of course, don't forget to visit BigRedAndShiny.com for future episodes along with other arts and culture content. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Studio Sessions.